0: All right, take your Bibles, let's go to Genesis chapter 1 this morning. We're making our way through the book of beginnings. So far we have considered the first four days of creation. I intentionally skipped verses 11 and 12 while we were on day 3, but today I want to incorporate those verses in with the message. And unfortunately the message will probably end up sounding more like a lecture. It is what it is. So let's begin by reading verses 11 and 12, and then we'll drop down and read verses 20 through 31. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 11, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb-yielding seed, and the fruit tree-yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and herb-yielding seed after his kind, and the tree-yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And now if you'll look beginning in verse 20. and God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. God created great whales, and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, And every winged fowl after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and every, everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. And the image of God created he him to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. And God saw everything that He had made. And behold, it was very good. And The evening and the morning were the sixth day. Amen. Speaking in very general terms, on day three, God brought forth plant life. On day five, God brought forth sea life and the birds. On day six, God brought forth land creatures. And He also made man in His image after His likeness. And I believe there are some important observations for us to make from all this when it comes to a Genesis account of creation versus the theory of evolution. I want you to notice the reoccurring phrase, After His Kind and the use of the phrase, after their kind. It's in several of these verses. In verses 11 and 12, we see that the fruit, tree-yielding fruit is after His kind, and the grass and herbs are after His kind. In verse 21, the sea life are after their kind, and the fowls are after His kind. And in verses 24 and 25, land creatures are after His kind. From a biblical perspective, this is important because what it does is it eliminates the possibility of evolution being the means whereby we find all the variety that we have in nature today. The ungodly theory of evolution wants people to buy into the idea that all of this just magically evolved from some single-cell amoeba in the water. This is an all-out attack on God and His Word. Now, this is where I want to show you a video I came across, and it's aimed at children, and it teaches this thought that all life came from a single cell. And so, Luke, if you'll go ahead and play that for us, I'd appreciate it. Hello, and welcome to the Fun
1: Facts Kids TV. There's a famous riddle that sparked many arguments. Was it the chicken or the egg that came first? Well, if you want to find the answer to this riddle and want to learn how life began on Earth, then keep watching this video. The life on Earth began in oceans about 3.5 billion years ago from a tiny cell called LUCA, which stands for Last Universal Common Ancestor. In fact, bugs, bacteria and even humans evolved from this tiny cell. So, you can say LUCA was a granddaddy of us all. No two living things came into the world quite the same. Small differences can be seen in each generation. Cells mutate and come together in new shapes. This is called evolution. Through evolution, Luca had two distinct offsprings on the tree of life, Bacteria and Archaea, both of which were single cells. Then, about two billion years ago, the third branch grew called Eukarya where some cells got a control centre called Nucleus. About half a billion years ago, eukaryotes became more varied and new shrimp-like creatures with distinct legs, eyes and mouths were formed. Over time, new varieties of eukaryotes kept evolving. Around 510 million years ago, fish appeared. Then about 450 million years ago plants started to grow on the land, some fishes got legs and crawled out of the sea on the land. That is how amphibians were formed. By 230 million years ago some of the land animals evolved into the biggest reptiles called dinosaurs. And interestingly around 150 million years ago birds evolved from dinosaurs then 66 million years ago dinosaurs became extinct and warm-blooded furry animals started to evolve from reptiles including us humans emerged and found our own special homes in the world. So now you know that eggs, which are cells, came first and then the chicken. In fact, humans have around 37 trillion cells. Hope you enjoyed watching this video and learn some fun facts about how life began. If you like this video, please subscribe to the channel and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also read about this and more on funfactskidstv.com.
0: So oh, there you go. We all came from Luca. I decided to look up Luca, last universal common ancestor. And here's what Wikipedia had to say. (laughs) Quote, Luca is not thought to be the first life on earth, but rather the the latest that is ancestral to all current existing life. While there is no specific fossil evidence of Luca, it can be studied by comparing genomes of all modern organisms. End quote. So while the theory of evolution would have us to believe that everything which has life somehow evolved from a single-cell amoeba, Meanwhile, the Bible is clear that God created everything after their kind. Exodus 20 and verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. Now I find it amazing that so many people actually believe that all the variety that we see in nature today just evolved from a bland Luca. You'll sometimes find large variations to the numbers I'm about to cite for you, depending on the source. And I think it may be because some include what has been discovered in the fossil record, and then also how some people label species differently. But you'll get the point nonetheless. Did you know that there are around 12,000 species of grass, over 60,000 species of trees, over 390,000 species of plants? over 6,000 species of mammals, about 10,000 species of birds, around 8,000 species of reptiles, around 8,400 species of amphibians, some 35,000 species of fish, over 100,000 different kinds of arachnids, and over 900,000, that's on the very low end, of insects. Most have it into the millions. And that's just to name a few categories. There are so many species on earth that all they can do is estimate how many there are. They, whoever they are, estimate that there are 8.7 million different species with only 1.2 million having been cataloged. Now, these numbers keep changing upward because every year there are new discoveries made. Now, the way God identified plants and animals was by His kind. And this can get confusing because some animals may be classified as a separate species, but in reality, they are a subspecies of the same kind. For example, some will say there are over 40 species of wild cats, but all cats are really of the same kind. Therefore, biblically speaking, there are different breeds of cats, but not different kinds. Different breeds of cats can be interbred to make a new breed of cat, but it won't make a whole new kind of an animal. Take the Liger, for example, which according to Napoleon Dynamite is bred for his skills in magic. And it's his favorite animal, I'm told. Okay, if you don't know who Napoleon Dynamite is, just forget it. But take the Liger, for example. (laughs) A liger is what results when a male lion and a female tiger breed together. It may be a different breed of cat, but it's not a different kind. I hope this is making sense. The same would be true of canines. The American Kennel Club currently recognizes 197 dog breeds, but they, along with the wild dogs, would all be one kind biblically. A mule is the offspring of a male donkey and a female horse. And while some will label these different species, they are of the same kind. This is why they are able to intermix. Why am I bringing this up? Because when you consider creation versus evolution, it is absurd to suggest that all of nature evolved from one single cell, amoeba. Now, I want you to try to stay with me in this lesson if you can. How did something after one kind evolve into a different kind? There's nothing to prove that there has ever been a mix between two kinds. They've tried. And let me just be clear. I, science may, may be able to pull off a lot of crazy things, but when nature's left to itself, two kinds will never produce anything else. Now, what proves this is impossible is the fact that while different kinds can copulate They'll never produce offspring. They won't have half of one kind and half of another in their offspring. It's never been observed. And it's never been proven that it's even possible. And there are none that are in existence today. There are no half and half of kinds. You don't have a half snake and a half bird. So to build upon this a little bit further, God said of the trees that their seed is in itself. Therefore, when you plant the seed of a walnut tree, you're always going to get... A walnut tree. (laughs) Why can't they make videos like that for kids? When when you plant buffalo grass, then buffalo grass will always sprout up because its seed is within itself. And we could say this about animals as well. Male animals have their seed in themselves. When a bull breeds with a heifer, you always get a calf. Always. Always. And and so we could use every animal as an example, you get the point. But their seed will not be able to impregnate a different kind because it won't be genetically recognizable. If the theory of evolution had any merit, and we all came from one Luca, then it would stand a reason that all the changing stages in evolution would be able to procreate with each other. But this has been proven to be an impossibility. If fish evolved into amphibians, then why can't they get together and procreate? If amphibians evolved into reptiles, then why can't they procreate? If reptiles evolved into birds, then why can't they reproduce with each other? And if warm-blooded furry mammals evolved from cold-blooded reptiles, then why can't they reproduce with each other? Well, the answer is right here in Genesis chapter 1. You see, nature on its own cannot produce anything outside of its kind. Nature can only bring forth after its kind. One kind of animal cannot reproduce a different kind. In other words, you can't have a dog give birth to a cat. And they can't even intermix to where you would have an offspring that is half dog, half cat. They're different kinds. And, And the reason the seed of one kind will not intermix with another kind is because the genetic coding, makes it sound like there might have been somebody intelligent behind this, the genetic coding will not allow it to happen. Evolution has always looked foolish from the beginning, in my opinion. But in the light of DNA and all that we're learning about it, it's now looking even more ridiculous. And, and observations like I'm trying to make this morning, I believe they're important because when one considers the possibilities of humans evolving from primates, it really makes no sense in light of the genetic coding. Even though chimpanzees and humans, we are told, share uh, 99, 98.6% of the same DNA sequence, they cannot intermix because chimps and humans are different kinds. So how could we evolve from primates and yet it's impossible for the two to mix on their own? For me, this just doesn't make any logical sense. But some evolution, evolutionists are actually suggesting some sort of mixing took place millions of years ago. One article I read on LiveScience.com stated, quote, the earliest known ancestors of modern humans might have reproduced with early chimpanzees to create a hybrid species, end quote. In order to get around the obvious contradictions from what we know today, what they'll say is, well, you see, enough time has elapsed. Now, that has, that's what has allowed the genetics to change enough to where they can no longer intermix because time has gone by. Well, yeah, all you got to do is throw out something nobody can observe and then you can build a theory on it, yeah. i.e., climate change. Yeah. Well, in 250 years, Miami's going to be underwater. Well, nobody's going to be here then. Yeah. So, when you think about this, it's not about a common ancestor, it's not about the last universal common ancestor, but it's all about having a common creator. That's why there are some likenesses. Now, I know evolutionists will get upset by these statements. You see, creation for God was easy, right? For us, as we try to unravel it, it's very complex. And and, and I love how evolutionists, they they do get annoyed from creationists who say things like this. Evolution is like an explosion in a print shop producing an unabridged dictionary. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow, look what it made. A perfect dictionary. Or they'll say, uh, evolution is like a tornado in a junkyard producing a 747. <laughs> or it's like DNA in a blender producing a human being. Well, the evolutionists, they, they don't like that kind of a statement because they'll say, it, it's, not, it's not true because all those examples lack a, co- a component of non-random selection. I say whatever helps you to sleep well at night, but the examples make sense to me because because I'm going all the way back to what you're calling the Big Bang, which is just explosion. And then all this order came out of chaos. Imagine driving by Mount Rushmore and thinking it was the result of the natural forces of erosion. That would be a crazy conclusion. Because the faces looking back at you are crying out that there was a sculptor. Well, the DNA structure, it cries out that all of this just could not have happened from some explosion in space millions of years ago. You do not get this kind of order out of chaos. In fact, it goes against the the laws. Everything is going towards chaos. An article entitled The Complexity of DNA by CRU Press ends with this, quote, DNA is just one example of life's complexity being too great to be easily accounted for by random natural processes. Our complexity, then, is a key indicator that we were designed and just didn't happen. End quote. I came across this great quote from C.G. Chesterton. Don't know who he is. I'm not even recommending the guy. But listen to the quote. It is absurd for evolutionists to complain that it is unthankable for an admittedly unthankable God to make everything out of nothing and then pretend that it is more thankable that nothing should turn itself into everything, End quote. That really is the two philosophies. Either everything came from nothing or everything came from God. Well, out of all the various kinds of grasses, trees, sea life, bird life, animals upon the earth, creepy crawlies, all of those things spoken of in our text, all of these are in in existence today by the hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions. Isn't it interesting that when it comes to humans, there's only one species? And I almost hate to use that term species to even describe humans, but I'm trying to do the best I can with this lesson. 1 Corinthians 15, 39 says, All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. I've already mentioned how there are literally many thousands of different grasses, trees, plants, thousands of mammals, birds, reptiles, amphibians, fish, arachnids, hundreds of thousands of insects, so much variation they estimated into the millions. If all of this evolved and we ended up with all this variation in these other classification categories, then wouldn't it stand to reason logically that there ought to be more variation at the human level? How are you going to have 60,000 different trees evolve, but only one kind of human? And yet, we are the only species in existence. It doesn't make any logical sense. Now, I realize the evolutionists will tell us that there have been some other human species along the way. They'll say usually around eight or so led up to the modern day what we call Homo sapiens. And just because someone finds a skull of a different size doesn't have to mean it was a different species of human. It could just mean the dude had a big head. Even more amazing still is that while there is only one species of humans, we're all unique. With the exception of some identical twins I've I've read. I've read that they actually share the same DNA sequence. I don't understand all that. But out of 7 billion of us upon the earth, our DNA really does give us away. We could fill a football stadium of 100,000 people rooting for the Bulldogs to beat the Crimson Tide. And out of those 100,000, because we had to stop watching the game because they were getting beat down, as we look at the people, we can see all these differences. Every one of them are are different in some way. But you could disrupt an ant mound and watch all the ants screwing around and you're not going to be able to tell one difference. That's not going to be Aunt Ted and, you know, Aunt Bill and... When the moths come flying in and I start killing them, I don't know who I'm killing. They all look the same. The box elder bugs came out and, you know, hey, they all look the same. We can't tell a difference, but why is it when it comes to humans? We can tell all of us today are unique. We even have some twins here with us and I can tell them apart. It can't be coincidental that there is such an enormous difference between humans and all other forms of life on earth. Surely this would further disprove the notion of evolution. I don't have time to get into all the different differences this morning, but they're obvious to anybody, to everyone. I mean, we put up street signs warning the deer, warning of where deer will cross. But the deer don't care where they cross. Right? They don't have signs facing the other way. They're on the medians or on the side of the road saying, okay, y'all got to cross here. I mean, we're we're different by so much. I mean, we punch a clock. How stupid was that to evolve into? (laughs) I would have evolved into something furry and not have to work and go hibernate for the winter. I'd have been a bear, eh, (laughs) amen? We invent. We make complex music. We play sports. We have a written language. We do need shelter and clothing. We use conveyances. And I don't see the chimpanzees riding horses around. (laughs) To further show how the Bible makes a distinction between humans and plants and animals, when God created mankind, I want you to notice that there he did not say anything about after his kind or after their kind. Interesting. Why not? Because we as humans are the most unique part of God's creation, we are not animals. We did not come from animals, and there will be no subspecies of humans because we have been created in God's image. For those who may not know, Charles Darwin did not write anything entitled The Theory of Evolution. In fact, he never used the phrase, and he didn't even use the term evolution, he only used evolve once, but rather he used the phrase modification with descent to describe natural selection. Charles Darwin's book, which has been used as the basis of the theory of evolution, was actually originally a very lengthy title. It was entitled, On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Perseverance of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life, and it was published in 1859. In that book, Darwin does propose the idea of universal common descent through an evolutionary process without using the terms, but here's a quote. Therefore, I should infer from analogy that probably all the organic beings which have ever lived on this earth have descended from some one primordial form into which life was first breathed, end quote. Now, what's interesting about the title of his book is that it has been shortened in our day. It now just reads on the origin of species, they drop the lengthier by means of natural selection or the perse- preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. Now, why did they do that? Well, it is true in those days that uh, many would use the term species and race interchangeably, use them synonymously, but it could be that in our day when we read a title like that, we read races and we think in terms of skin color. It could be that they have shortened it to hide the fact that Darwin was a racist. Darwin was against slavery, but in his lesser-known book, The Descent of Man, which was published in 1871, Darwin made his racist views plain by depicting blacks as less evolved than whites. Evolutionary speaking, Darwin believed that blacks were closer to primates than they were to white people. With Darwin being such a racist, if all of these statue removals that we are witnessing today in our country were really about racism and racial justice and purging out past racial sentiments in our nation, then one would think anything to do with Darwin would have to go. One would think that the statue of Darwin at the uh, Suzalo Library at the University of Washington would have to come down. But I digress. Now, we have variations among humans. We are red, yellow, black, and white. And and even that's not a good statement because none of us are totally white, totally red, totally yellow, totally black. Right? If you hold up a piece of paper next to me, I'm not going to match it. Even though I have a South Dakota tan going on. (laughs) But we do see differences. We do see eye color. We, we have some tall, short, skinny, large, etc. So, so how do we know we are all in fact the same species? It goes back to the seed being in itself. While we are red, yellow, black, and white, we can all intermix and produce offspring. Why? Because we are after each other's kind, if you will. I don't even want to use that phrase because the Bible doesn't. But in light of what I said earlier, this is what makes sense. So what does this mean for us? It means that racism should never be a part of the Christian life. Ever. Why? Because all of mankind has been created into the image of God. And yet I learned here last month that there's still a college down in the south, I want to say Florida, that still will not let its students, if you're white, date a black person. They say that it is unscriptural. And when somebody asked the question, can you please explain why this is unscriptural, in their question and answer time, they said, that's a difficult one. We'll have to get back with you. See me later. Race and things like critical race theory, they're all the talk today. Classrooms are pushing ideologies today which teach our problems in society are really a result of the white man. That Western civilization is built upon nothing more than racism. People are being taught that capitalism is a tool for white supremacy. And on and on it goes. But there would be no need for the discussion if people would just turn to God and believe the Genesis creation account because God's Word has all the answers. It's been said that those in the South love the individual but hate the race, while those in the North love the race but hate the individual. That seems to be true in my lifetime. I've lived in both the South and the North and I can tell you that there is a lot of truth to that statement. The South is loving to everybody individually. But when it comes racially, it's a little bit different. The North, they like all the races, but they don't like everybody individually. And and so there's a lot of truth to that. But people are the problem is we're all looking outwardly. People are being distracted by all of this critical race theory, all of this stuff that's being taught today. We're being distracted from the real problem in our society. And the real problem is this, we're all sinners. We have all turned away from God. We've all rebelled against Him. But people are looking outwardly to justify all the societal issues of our day instead of looking internally. Now, God made it clear that this is what man would do naturally. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. But we got to learn to look internally at ourselves. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There most definitely is a real problem in our day, but I want you to know that there is a very real solution. And the real solution is that while we are all sinners, Christ died for all. Isaiah 53 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid him, laid on him the iniquity of us all. First Timothy 2, 5 and 6, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Hebrews 2.9, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, and He, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. And because Christ died for all, then hallelujah, all can be saved. Romans 10.13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isaiah forty five twenty two. Look unto Me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. 1 Timothy 2, 4, Who will have all men to be saved, and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Because in Christ, there is no difference today. Do you hear what I'm saying? God wants everybody to be saved. He died for them all. All can be saved. And those of us that are in Christ, there is no difference between you, me, red, yellow, black and white, male, female, Jew, Gentile, bond free. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.28 There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And therefore, if you're in Christ this morning, you need to rid yourself of all racism. I'm not going to have that around here. The reality is when we look at another human being, we are looking into the eyes of someone that Christ died for. They were created in God's image. That's our focus, not color. There's a lot more we need to get to on day six. But we'll have to leave it here for now. I want you to remember this morning, you are unique. You are not just a more evolved animal. You are created in the image and the likeness of God. Listen to me to anybody who doubts it this morning. You are very special to God. So special that He died for you. He died for all humanity in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, church, we need to present the gospel to everyone. Not just those we're most comfortable around. Let's pray.